الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد إن شاء الله تعالى today we're going to start the uh, fiqh class this is going to be our first class بإذن الله الكريم because of the fact that we will not be able to finish the kitab Matna Abi Shuja'ah. We will not be able to finish that kitab uh, because it's big and the time that was designated for the kitab is uh, now shorter. It is better that we do a book that we can finish in the fiqh of uh, the madhab of Imam Shafi'i. So the kitab that I think, inshallah ta'ala, we will be able to finish in the time that we have is a kitab known as As-Safinatul Najah. So the kitab is translated in English as well. It's called As-Safinatul Najah. Sometimes read as Safinatul uh, An-Najat with a ta, and sometimes it's read without it. So it's read as Safinatul Najah. If you go online right now, everyone who is inshallah ta'ala following the class, you can actually download the book in PDF in the English language. So you can download the book as a PDF in the English language. And in English it's called the Ship of Salvation. It is called the Ship of Salvation. Um, so try to download it, inshallah ta'ala. Safinatun Naja' It's called inshallah ta'ala. The way inshallah ta'ala that I plan to go over the book is not to go into details because the kitab is very small. It is a beginner book and it's a very small book. So the way I plan to cover the kitab is in a very summarized, basic and easy manner, inshallah ta'ala. Each point that the author mentioned, I will mention the evidence that he's trying to provide or the evidence for this point that he has brought forward, inshallah ta'ala. But before I start, what I want to say is that the subject that we're going to be taking is fiqh. The subject that we're going to be taking is fiqh. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said in a hadith, مَن يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ Anyone Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he wants for them good, he makes them understand the religion. And fiqh here means the whole entire religion. But it also means the jurisprudent rulings in the religion. If Allah Taala wants good for you, He makes you understand the rulings of things. And if you see yourself having the understanding of what is halal from what is haram, it's a sign that Allah Taala loves you. And if you see that you struggle in understanding what is halal from what is haram, then some of the scholars like Ibn Hajar and Ibn Al-Qayyim both mentioned that it's a sign that you have been deprived from the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said in a hadith that a large number of companions narrated, There is probably a person who is carrying rulings. He has them in his head, but he doesn't understand it much. And the Prophet also said, maybe a person who is carrying fiqh, 
but he isn't a faqih. And so he's going to take it to someone who is a greater faqih. So maybe he's got narrations that he's memorized, ayat that he's memorized from the Quran, but this person doesn't understand what they memorized. And so they go and they give it to a person who has more understanding or has the understanding of this text. So this shows the virtue of understanding the religion. That everybody is not the same when it comes to the religion. There are some people who've memorized a lot, but they don't know what they memorized. And there are some people who've not memorized much, but they understand a lot. And there are some people, the third category, who've combined between understanding and memorization. The kitab that we're going to be doing, Safinatul Najah, and Safinatul An Najat, is a kitab ala madhab al Imam al Shafi'i. It's in accordance to the Shafi'i Madhab. It is in accordance to the Shafi'i Madhab. The objective that I want from this, inshallah ta'ala, and the way that I want to teach it, is to just mention the evidences for each point. When the author mentions something, give his evidence. Where is he getting it from? My evidence sometimes will be ayats from the Qur'an, Sometimes it might be a hadith from the Prophet sallallahu And sometimes it may even be the athar Statements of the companions that have been transmitted to us And also sometimes it may even be al-qiyas wa ta'lilat Analogy That the author rahimahullah is using From one issue to another That might be my evidence So my evidence might be An ayah from the Quran Or it might be a hadith Of the Prophet sallallahu or it may be some of the actions of the early generation from the companions and the tabi'in. Or it may even be al-qiyas wa ta'lilat. So these are the evidences that I will provide for the author. I will not strengthen opinions. And I will not say that the author is right here or he's wrong here. Because the book is a beginner book. We will treat it in that way inshallah ta'ala. When we come to the other books after that, we will strengthen opinions and we will mention other views, inshallah ta'ala. The benefit in this book, brothers and sisters who are watching and listening, the benefit in this book is that it's very small. Number one, the fawaid and the benefits that are in this book is that the book is very small. It's actually not a big book. Um, it's small, uh, thick book. So it's easy for a person to remember what they took. And the way that the author, rahimahullah, he placed the book is in a very simplified manner. So he actually is, is very small and it's also simplified. So he just mentions types and categorizations only. We will not spend too much time in the author and who he is because that is something, inshallah, you can look it up. We will go into the book straight away because... What we do need is to um, study and understand that which is in the book bi-idhnillahi al-kareem. The kitab, the author rahimahullah, he started the book by saying, Bismillahi rahman rahim So the author rahimahullah, he started his kitab by saying, Bismillahi rahman rahim The reason why the author rahimahullah, he started his book by saying, Bismillahi rahman rahim is number one. The first reason why the author started his book with Bismillah, the first reason is because of um, 
the Prophet وسلم, starting uh, with Bismillah rahman rahim The Prophet used to do that والسلام, And this is in the uh, two most authentic books, Bukhari and Muslim, on the authority of uh, the story of Hirikla. And the Prophet وسلم, when he sent the letter to Hirikla, Azim al-Rum, the Prophet mentioned in there, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Muhammadi from Muhammad Abdullahi wa Rasulu, the Messenger of Allah, Ila Hirikla Azim al-Rum. So the Messenger started his letter when he sent to Hirikla with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. The second reason in why the author started his book with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam generally speaking his covenants and his contracts he would start with the basmala generally speaking that's what he used to do alayhi salatu wasalam the covenants and the contracts that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had he would start with it bismillahir rahmanir rahim and the story of sulhul hudaybiyah the treaty of hudaybiyah was a contract and as it's narrated that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he wrote in there uh, and he commanded Ali ibn Abi Talib to write Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And then Suhail ibn Amr said to the Prophet, Amma Bismillah. Suhail ibn Amr was a representative for Quraysh. And so when the Prophet Sallallahu told Ali to write Bismillah, Suhail ibn Amr, he said, as for Bismillah, as for Bismillah, we accept that from you. Bismillah, we accept that. As for Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, we don't know what that is. So Ibn Amrin is saying that. We don't know what that is. Write, Bismik Allahumma. That's something we all know, right? That's what we all agree, so write that. That's what he said to the Prophet. But initially, the Prophet وسلم, he told Ali um, ibn Abi Talib to write Bismillah. So the second reason why the author started his book with the Basmala is because the Prophet used to do that in his contracts and in his uh, treaties. Number three, the Prophet ﷺ, in many of his actions and many of the things that he used to do, he used to start with the basmala. For example, eating. The Prophet ﷺ, as the famous hadith says, you know, Sammillah Ta'ala, name Allah wa Ta'ala. When the Prophet was commanding the young boy, he said to him, Mention Allah's name and eat from your surrounding. And eat with your right hand. So the eating of the food, you start with basmala. And that's what the Prophet used to do. Also, adhabhu. Also, when you're slaughtering, you start with the basmala. Also, when you enter the masjid. And you also enter your house, you start with the basmala. So these are many different places where the Prophet ﷺ, with his actions, he would start with the basmala. Fourth reason why the Prophet ﷺ started with the basmala is there is a weak narration that some of the scholars try to authenticate. Some scholars, they try to authenticate it. They authenticate it. But a lot of the scholars weakened it and it is stronger that it's weak. That the Messenger ﷺ, he said, كل أمر ذي بال لا يبدأ فيه بسم الله فهو أبتر. 
every action in which Bismillah is not started with, then it's a, uh, an action that has been started with no barakah and good in it. So this hadith is weak. It's not authentic. Sheikh Albani rahimahullah weakened it in his kitab, Al-Irwa' Al-Ghalil. And many other scholars have weakened it. So these are the four reasons. And the fourth one, the reason why I mentioned it, because according to some of the scholars, they believe Al-Amalu Bil-Hadith Al-Da'if. The permissibility of acting upon weak narration, as long as that weak narration doesn't go against. As long as that weak narration does not go against, it doesn't go against authentic evidences, or it doesn't go against issues that are present within the religion. And see, Bismillah, it has bases in the religion, so this hadith which is weak can be used to support that. That's the view of some scholars. Also, if you go to the kitab Al-Adab Al-Mufrad by Imam Al-Bukhari, Imam Al-Bukhari has a kitab called Adab Al-Mufrad. In there, he has a chapter where he called it Bab, the chapter. Sadru al-Rasail bi-Bismillahir-Rahmanir-Rahim. And in this chapter, he mentioned starting with the Bismillah when you want to write letters. And in there, uh, Imam Al-Bukhari, he brought many of the action of the early generation, the pious predecessors. The early generation, he brought like um, Anas ibn Sirin, that he wrote to Abdullah ibn Umarin. And he said in there, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And Anas ibn Sirin is a tabi'i and he's the brother of Muhammad ibn Sirin. Also, Imam al Bukhari mentioned that Bara al Zayd ibn Thabitin, um, he wrote a letter. Zayd ibn Thabitin had written a letter and he started his letter with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And that's a companion. Also, Abdullah ibn. Uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and others, they started their letters and everything with the best manner. So we have the Prophet's actions, alayhi salatu wasalam. We have a weak narration that is attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam. We also have statements and actions of the companions that have been transmitted to us that they started with the best manner. So that's the first discussion which the author started his book with the best manner. Then the author, rahimahullah, he mentions in his book, he says... رحمه الله رحمة واسعة. He says الحمد لله رب العالمين وبه نستعين على أمور الدنيا والدين. The author رحمه الله says in the name of Allah تبارك وتعالى. أما إن الحمد لله praises to Allah تبارك وتعالى رب العالمين the Lord of the universe. وبه to Allah تبارك وتعالى نستعين على أمور الدنيا والدين. We seek help from Allah Taala in our religious matters and in our worldly matters. And the author took this from the uh, ayah in the Quran: You Allah alone do we worship, and you Allah alone do we seek help from. And also the evidence for this statement of the author is the hadith of the Prophet where he said: billah. And if you're going to seek help from anybody, then seek help from Allah Taala alone. Uh, Imam Tirmidhi narrated this and he authenticated it. So the statement of the author, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa bihi nasta'inu ala umuri dunya wa deen, 
he took it from the ayah and he also took it from the hadith that Imam Tirmidhi narrated. Um, if you're going to seek help from anyone, then seek help only from Allah Taala. Then the author went on to saying, We seek for the Prophet وسلم, salutation. Sallallahu Wasallam. We also seek for the Prophet وسلم, for Allah to send down on him salutation and also peace. Ala Sayyidina our master Muhammad Nabiullahi Muhammad. Khatam al the final and last prophet. The evidence that the Prophet is the last and final prophet is the statement of Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala. Ma kana Muhammadun Aba Ahadimir Rijalikum walakir Rasulullahi wa khatam al that Nabiullahi Muhammad is the last and final prophet. The prophet mentioned in the hadith, La Nabiya Ba'di. There is no prophet after me. So the Prophet is the last and final, final prophet. There is no prophet after Nabiullahi Muhammad. And that ayah also supports that. The author, Rahimullah, he said, Sallallahu Wasallam. So he asked two things for the prophet. For Allah to send down on the Prophet ﷺ, salutation and peace. And these are the two things that we ask for him ﷺ, because we were instructed and we were commanded to do so. Allah mentions in the Quran, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. So we were commanded to send salah and salam. Salah and Salam on the Prophet, those two. Those two, we send it onto the Prophet. We ask Allah to send those two onto the Prophet. The question here is what does the word Salah mean? What is the meaning of As Salah? Salah, the scholars, they, dis- dis- they di- differed amongst themselves. The scholars, they differed amongst themselves what the word Salah means. What is meant by it? Salah, what does it mean? The strongest opinion is that salah means thana'ullah, Allah praising the Prophet high above. And this state, this meaning is being attributed to the great tabi'i Abu, Abu Aliyah. Bukhari brought it in his Sahih Mu'allaqan Bisirgatil Jazmi. Pay attention here. That's the first view. That the word salah means Allah tabarak wa ta'ala praising the Prophet high above. The second view is that the salah means rahmah, peace. Allah sending down on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, um, sorry, mercy. Rahmah meaning mercy. And Ibn al-Qayyim argued that the word salah cannot mean rahmah. He argued that. He said it can't be. And he said, the evidence to show that the word salah and rahmah are two different things is the statement of Allah ulaika alayhim salawatun min rabbihim wa rahmah Allah distinguished between salah and rahmah in this verse ulaika alayhim salawatun min rabbihim wa rahmah so salah has been distinguished from rahmah the two different things and they are not one and the other 
So Ibn al-Qayyim argued for that and that seems to be stronger insha'Allah ta'ala. Not to mention we have a statement of a great tabi'i defining what it is and we have another great imam, Bukhari, choosing that opinion in his sahih. So the author went on to saying, and wa'alihi and his family. So may Allah send down on the family of the Prophet salah and salam. Salah and salam. May Allah send it down on the Prophet's family. Here's the question. Wa'alihi, the Prophet's family, who are they? Who is meant by the Prophet's family? What did, what is, who is meant by it? The strongest opinion that Alihi, the Prophet's family, is meant by Banu Hashim and Banu Al-Muttalib. Those are the two that are meant by Wa'alihi ama wa'ahlihi. Wa'alihi ama wa'ahlihi is meant by Banu Hashim and Banu Al-Muttalib. Those are the two that are meant by the Prophet's family. So whenever the scholars, they say, Wa'alihi and his family, they mean Banu Hashim and Banu Al-Muttalib. Those are the two that are meant by it. Wa-sahbihi ajma'een. And the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The companions, who are they? The companions are those who met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They met him alayhi salatu wa sallam. And when they met him, so the first point is, a companion are those who met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when they met the Prophet, mu'minan bih in a state of iman. So they were believers when they met him. And they died upon that belief. I.e., they were believers when the Prophet died. So they were believers when they died. When the companion died, he was a believer. He didn't leave the religion. Okay? That's the three points. So... He met the Prophet ﷺ. He believed in the Prophet ﷺ when he, when he met him. And the third one is, he died upon belief. That is a companion. That is the definition of the companions. And what is the evidence for us to be having, uh, sending peace and salutation onto the companions? Where does this come from? Allah Taala mentioned it in the Quran. Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ Those who come after the companions. وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَا بِالْإِيمَانِ وَلَا تَجْعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا غِلًّا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ رَأُوفُ الرَّحِيمِ Allah mentions in this ayah, وَالَّذِينَ the ones who come after the companions, they say, رَبَّنَا our Lord, forgive us and also for our brothers. Forgive our brothers. Which ones? الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَ بِالْإِيمَانِ Our brothers who have preceded us in faith. Forgive them. And also, um, um, pardon them for their shortcomings. Who are those people that they're asking for? Our brothers who have preceded us in faith. Also they ask, وَلَا تَجْعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا غِلَّا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Oh Allah, do not place in our hearts enmity and hate towards our brothers. Who are the brothers here? Again, the companions. They're the muhajireen and the ansar. So that's what the author, rahimullah, where he got it from, sending peace and salutation on the companions. Then the author said, وَلَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ الْعَلِيُّ الْعَظِيمِ The author, rahimullah, mentioned, وَلَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ There is no hawl. 
What does it mean, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah? The hawqala is what the scholars call it. The scholars, they have terms where they abbreviate it. Such as the basmala. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is called basmala. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen is called hamdala. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah is called what? Al-hawqala. Scholars, they call it al-hawqala. The reason why the author, rahimahullah, he said, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم is because of the virtues that have come regarding saying the statement, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم. There are many evidence, there are many virtues that have come for the حوقله. Many evidence, sorry, many virtues that have come for it. Let's mention some of them. And that's why the author, rahimahullah, chose to say, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم. The first one is Hadith Al-Imam Al-Bukhari and Muslim narrated. Al-Imam Al-Bukhari and Muslim both narrated on the authority of Abu Musa Al-Ash'ari radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. May Allah be pleased with Abu Musa Al-Ash'ari. That the Prophet said to the companions, Ayyuhannas, O people, irba'u ala anfusikum. The Prophet said to the companions, be gentle with yourselves. Be gentle with yourselves. فَإِنَّكُمْ لَا تَدْعُونَ أَصَّمَّا وَلَا غَائِبًا Because the companions were screaming and they were shouting when they were calling unto Allah. And so the Prophet said to them, Be gentle to yourselves. Be gentle to yourselves. Because you are not calling unto one who is deaf and one who is absent. وَلَكِنْ تَدْعُونَ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا But you are calling unto... Um, one who can hear and one who can see. <clears throat> Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, he then said, then the messenger came to me and I was saying, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari said, after the Prophet said that, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari is the narrator of the hadith, he said that the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, he came to me and he heard me saying, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله and then he said to me, قُلْ say, لَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ Say the statement, لَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ بِاللَّهِ فَإِنَّهَا كَنْزٌ مِنْ كَنَاءٍ مِنْ كُنُوزِ الْجَنَّةِ Say, لَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ For verily, it's a treasure from the treasures of Jannah. So the Prophet said to him, Say what you're saying. Say la hawla wa la quwwata billah because it's a treasure from the treasures of Jannah. So this is the evidence for the virtue of the hawqala. And the author, rahimahullah, maybe because of that, he chose, rahimahullah ta'ala, to use it. Then the author, rahimahullah, he said, faslun arkanul islami khamsa. The author, rahimahullah, as you can see, even though the book is a fiqh book, he started it with aqeedah-related issues. And this is common amongst some of the scholars. What they used to do is before they start their book, they will mention some things related to Tawheed al-Aqeedah, and then they would mention the fiqh issues. They will do that. And Risalat ibn Abi Zayd al-Qairawani is like that. The Risalat ibn Abi Zayd al-Qairawani is a fiqh book and an Aqeedah book. He mentions Aqeedah in there, and he mentions some fiqh-related issues in there as well. <coughs> Okay, so the scholars, they used to do that, and it's common. 
So the author, rahimullah, he started by mentioning that the pillars of Islam are five. And the evidence that the pillars of Islam are five is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, Buniya al-Islamu ala khamsin. Islam is built upon five. The first one is to testify that there is none worthy of worship except Allah. The second one is iqam al-salah, to establish the prayer. The third one is to give zakat. The third one, uh, the fourth one is والحج. and the fifth one is وصوم رمضان the fasting in the month of Ramadan. And the hadith of Jibreel also mentions the same. So the five pillars of Islam, the author rahimahullah mentioned them. And then he mentions Arkanul Imani Sitta. He says that the pillars of Iman are six. The six articles of faith. And the six articles of faith are and tu'mina billahi to believe in Allah. Wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wal yawmil akhir wa bil qadari khayrihi wa sharrihi min Allahi ta'ala. The six articles of faith are to believe in Allah and the angels and to believe in the books and to believe in the messengers and to believe in the day of judgment and to believe in the qadar, the good of it and the evil. And the evidence that the articles of faith are six is the long famous hadith, Hadith of Jibreel, where the Prophet was asked by Jibreel, Tell me about Iman, and the Prophet told him these, five, these six. So the author started his book with what? He started his book with the Basmala, and then he mentioned the Hamdala, which is the second. So he started the Basmala, he said, Bismillah. And we spoke about that. The second thing that the author rahimahullah spoke about is the hamdala. The third thing that the author rahimahullah he spoke about is the salah and the salam on the Prophet sallallahu which is the third. The fourth is the author rahimahullah he mentioned the hawqala. La hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-aliyul azim. Those are the four things that the author Rahimullah mentioned that we mentioned. The fifth thing that the author Rahimullah mentioned is the Arkanul Islam al Khamsa, the five uh, pillars of Al Islam. The second, the sixth thing that the author Rahimullah mentioned is Arkanul Iman Sitta. The author Rahimullah mentioned the six articles of faith. Those are the six points that we've taken so far. So, let me repeat it one more time. The author, rahimahullah, so far he has covered and he has spoken about in the muqaddimah, the basmala. That's number one. I can hear some voices. Someone's microphone opened. The operation people, I can hear them. Mute them. That's it, that's fine now. The author, Rahimullah, he spoke about six things so far. 
The first thing that he spoke about was the Basmalah. He said, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. So I'm going to write this on the board. Bismillahir Kareem. The author, Rahimullah, he spoke about six things so far. He spoke about the Al-Basmalah. He also spoke about Alhamdulillah. He also spoke about the Salah and the Salam. Salatu, Salah, Ala Nabi. Salatu, Salatu. The Salah and the Salam Ala Nabi. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The fourth thing that the author Rahimullah spoke about is is Al-Hawqala uh, or he mentioned the Hawqala. The Al-Hawqala. And we mentioned what the hawqala is. The fifth thing that the author rahimahullah mentioned is the arkan uh, al-Islam uh, and also arkan al-Iman. So the basmala we mentioned when we're, speaking about, when we're speaking about the Basmala, we mentioned the reason why the author Rahimullah chose to start with it, four reasons. We mentioned four things why the author Rahimullah chose to speak, the reason why he started it with the Basmala. The first one was, the first reason why he started the Risala with the Basmala is because the Prophet wasallam started with the letter he sent to Hiraklet, the Prophet started with the Basmala. The hadith is found in Sahih al-Bukhari. The second reason why the author, rahimahullah, he started the Risala with the Basmala is because the Prophet wasallam, in his Uhud and Mawathiq, the covenants and the treaties that he would set, wasallam, or he would put out, he would start with the Basmala, generally speaking. The third reason is the Prophet وسلم, in many things he would start with the basmala in, in his actions. Like if he would eat, he would start with the basmala. If he would enter the masjid, he would start with the basmala. If he entered the house, he would start with the basmala. The fourth reason why the author rahimahullah, started with the basmala is because there's a weak narration that has come. Some scholars have granted, graded this hadith to be Hassan, like Imam Nawi and other great scholars, they graded it to be Hassan, which is Kullu amrin la Every action that a person starts, if he doesn't start with the basmala, 
then this action is started off without barakah. Okay? And there could be a fifth reason that we could add on to this, which could be another fifth reason, is that the Qur'an starts with the basmalah. The first surah in the Qur'an is Surah Al-Fatiha, and it has the basmalah that it starts with. So we can say that the basmalah is the first. The second thing that the author, rahimahullah, mentioned is the hamdalah. And the reason why he started with the hamdalah is because the Qur'an starts with the hamdalah as well. Surah Al-Fatiha is Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Okay? And here I just want to add on something extra, which is, what is the difference between hamd, alhamdulillah, or alhamd, and uh, uh, shukr? This is something that uh, scholars discuss. What is the difference between alhamd and shukr? What is the difference between the two? The difference between the two is that the word hamd, it, from one angle, is more general than the shukr. Hamd is more general than the shukr from one angle. And that angle is, if we look at the purpose of why you're doing it. Hamd, you do it for, from this perspective, hamd is more general. Hamd, you do it for something a person has favored you with, and you also do it for who the person is. Without having them do anything for you, you can actually praise someone for what they are. Okay? That's hamd. And in English, that's why the word alhamd is always generally translated in English to mean praise. You see? Because praising someone uh, can, be, can be for something they've done for you. And you can also praise someone for what they are without having them, to do it, without them having done anything for you. Whereas shukr from this perspective is only when someone does something for you. You can't do shukr for someone I'm a shukr to someone if they've not done anything for you. So when we look at it from that perspective, we see that hamd is more general and shukr is more specific. From another angle, we find that the shukr is more general and hamd is more specific. And that is how you do the shukr and how you do the hamd. I'm aware the hamd or the shukr occurs from. When we look at it from that perspective or when we look at it from that angle, we will find that the shukr is more general and hamd is more specific. So for example, hamd occurs from the tongue and it also occurs from the heart. That's it. Whereas shukur occurs from the tongue, occurs from the heart, and it also occurs from the person's physical action. He can actually do shukur. You can do shukur, whereas hamd, you can't do it. And that's what Allah wa ta'ala said in the Quran, I'malu ala Dawuda shukra. I'malu. Allah said, I'malu, do. Shukur. Hamd, you can't do it. Okay, you can't do it. So that's hamd. Okay, we've spoken about that now. And we said that the salat was salamu ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The author, rahimallah, also mentioned that. Okay, the salat and the salam upon the Prophet sallallahu wa alihi, he mentioned it for his family as well, wa ashabihi. Okay, wa alihi. The Prophet's family. What we said is, Salah and Salam both have to be made for the Prophet. We have to make Salah and a Salam on the Prophet. It's, it's, it's wajib upon us. Because Allah instructed us in the Quran, Allah said, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi, ya ayyu alladhina amanu, sallu. So we have to do Salah. 
وَسَلِّمُوا And do salam. So we were instructed to do this too for the Prophet No other Prophet were we instructed to do that for. All the other Prophets, we can only suffice ourselves by saying salam. And salah is specific for the Prophet. All the other Prophets, Allah, when He speaks, when he speaks about them, salamun ala Ilyasin, salamun ala Ibrahim, salamun, salam. That's it. That was all that was mentioned for them. Whereas Nabiullah Muhammad is as-salatu wa salam. Also, we spoke about who is meant by wa-ahlihi. I'm a wa-ahlihi. Wa-ahlihi is meant by uh, the Prophet's two families. And they are Banu Muttalib, Hashim and Hashim. Sorry, Hashim. And Al-Muttalib. Those are the two uh, who are referred to as Wa'alihi when we say the Prophet's family. Okay? And also, um, if the word Wa'ashabi is not mentioned, then the people that fall under the Prophet's family is who? Uh, the wives of the Prophet. So the wives of the Prophet are also in, in the Wa'alihi. That's only if the word Wa'ashabi is not mentioned, his companions. But if his companions are mentioned, then the wives, they, they fall under the companions. Okay? So now the wives are here. But if this is not mentioned, the wives of the Prophet, they enter. Uh, and the evidence for that is, when Allah Ta'ala spoke about, uh, um, Allah spoke about the Prophet's family. Allah said to the wives, Ya Nisa Allah says, Allah says, that Allah is talking about, He's talking to the Prophet's family, alayhi salatu wasalam. Allah is talking to the Prophet's family, wa'alihi and his family. So the wives were mentioned in that context of the Prophet's family. You know, so this is an indication to show that the wives of the Prophet are part of his family. Wa'ashabihi, we said, the Sahaba is when three things are, are found. Wa'ashabihi, a companion, and the definition of a companion is when three things are are there. Okay? That's when it's a companion. The first condition is that they met the Prophet Okay? And it's not that you met the Prophet in your dream. It means you actually met him That's number one. The second thing is when you met him, is you were a believer of his. That's the second condition. So here what leaves here is the hypocrites. The hypocrites are not companions. According to our definition, they are not a companion. Because a companion means someone who met the Prophet and believed in him. And the third condition is that that individual died upon belief of Allah and his messenger. They died upon Islam. So now here's a question. According to this, that means when they met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, so when they met the Prophet alayhi salatu wasallam, so they saw the Prophet, they met the Prophet, they were believers of the Prophet at that time, for example. And they died upon Iman. Okay, they died upon Islam. 
in between if they apostate, will they, will they still have the title of companionship? Will we still refer to them as companions? According to our definition, yes. So if they met the Prophet and they believed in him when they met him, and they died upon Iman, in between what happens, whether they leave the religion or they... You know, as long as they die upon Iman, and as long as they met the Prophet upon Iman, that's the thing that's focused on. What happened in between, and they, if they apostated or not, does not take the title of them being companions. And this issue, it goes back to an issue of if a person apostates, does his righteous deeds nullify? That's what it goes back to, and we're not going to go into that now. Then we spoke about the concept of al-hawqalah. And I said that brothers and sisters should familiarize themselves with these kind of terms that the scholars have used. Like al-hawqalah. And that basmala. You see, scholars, they say basmala. And the scholars, they say alhamdala. They call it alhamdala. Uh, you see, so familiarize yourself with, with, with that. The fifth thing that the author, Allah spoke about is um, arkanul islam. The pillars of Al-Islam. And we said that the pillars of Al-Islam are what? They are five. And the evidence that the pillars of Al-Islam are five is the hadith of Bukhari and Muslim in hadith Abdullah ibn Umar ibn, Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab where he said, Punya al-Islamu ala khamsin. And also the hadith of Jibreel which is found in Sahih Muslim in hadith uh, Umar ibn al-Khattab it mentions that the pillars of Al-Islam are five. The pillars of Al-Iman, the articles of faith, are six. They are what? They are six. Some scholars, as a side benefit, they discussed why jihad is not part of Arkanul Islam. Some of the scholars, they discussed why jihad is not in there. And why was it not mentioned in Arkanul Islam? It's an action, it's a great action, and it could have been added here. The reason is because all of these, the, all of these are actions which are fardu'ayn, individual obligation. Salah is an, sorry, the shahadatayn is an individual obligation. And the salah is an individual obligation. The zakat is an individual obligation. The hajj is an individual obligation. Fasting is an individual obligation. Whereas jihad at its default position is that it's a communal obligation. Jihad is not fardu ayn. It's fardu kifaya. Ida qama bi ba'dun sakat anil baqeen. And there are three situations, and some scholars they say four situations where it becomes fardu ayn. The jihad then becomes fardu ayn, an individual obligation. Other than that, generally speaking, jihad is fardu kifaya. It's not fardu ayn. Okay? So that's why it's not in there, Arkanul Islam. Arkanul Iman is six, and it means and tu'mina bilai wa malaikati wa kutubi wa rusuli wa liyomil akhir wa tu'mina bil qadri khayri wa sharri. Then the author, Rahimullah, did something, and this is all the introduction. The author, Rahimullah, he spoke about um, the meaning of La ilaha illallah. So the author, Rahimullah, he now went into what does La ilaha illallah mean? After he spoke about that, and this is the last point that he speaks about in his introduction, which is ma'na la ilaha illallah. The meaning of what? Ma'na la ilaha illallah. 
What does La ilaha illallah mean? And this, by the way, the author starting with a fiqh book that we're studying in fiqh shafi'i, madhab al-imam shafi'i, for the author to start with aqeedah and tawheed shows you the importance of learning tawheed before learning fiqh. The poet, he said, وَبَعَدُ فَالتَّوْحِيدُ عِلْمٌ يَنْبُلُ عَلَى الْعُلُومِ كُلِّهَا وَيَفْضُلُ قَدْ أَوْجَبَ الرَّحْمَانُ مِنْهُ قَدْرًا لَيْسَ يَصِحُ الدِّينُ حَتَّى يُدْرَى There is an amount of aqeed that a person has to know then it takes precedence over everything. You see? وَأَوَّلُ وَاجِبٍ عَلَى الْعَبِيدِ مَعْرِفَةُ الرَّحْمَانِ بِالتَّوْحِيدِ The first obligation upon everybody it is to know التوحيد العقيدة. There's no benefit in you knowing this is this mas'ala comes originally from this mas'ala and this delil proves this, this issue and all of that when you don't have a correct aqidah or you don't have a correct tawheed. You're worshipping the graves. You're calling on to other than Allah. You are fearful of anything other than Allah. You're slaughtering for other than Allah. You knowing tafri'atul masail and qiyas and ilal of masail does not benefit you. If the aslul asil, the foundation of the religion is missing from you. So it's, it's, it's wise and it's, it's a good sign of the shaykh to start his fiqh book with issues like this. So he says that la ilaha illallah means what? He said it means la ma'abuda. He says la ma'abuda bihaqqin fi al-wujud illallah. That's what the author Rahimallah said. Ma'ana la ilaha illallah means la, la ma'abuda bihaqqin fil wujudi illallah. That there is none worthy of worship except Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala. And that's the definition of what la ilaha illallah means. And as a side benefit, a person should know the following regarding la ilaha illallah. As a believer today, the following things are what you should know about la ilaha illallah. Number one, ma'nahu. What does it mean? And the author gave it to you today. Second thing that you should try to learn about is fadail, the virtues of la ilaha illallah. The third thing that you need to learn is arkan, the pillars of la ilaha illallah. And la ilaha illallah stands on two pillars, which is nafyun wa ithbat, affirmation and negation. The fourth one is shurut, the conditions of la ilaha illallah that you should know. You see... And last but not least, which is the fifth one, is Nawaqid, the nullifiers of La ilaha Allah. And Ibn Abdul Wahab wrote a book on that. Those are the five things that you need to know about La ilaha Allah. The first one is, what does it mean? Ma ma'anahu? Ma ma'ana La ilaha? What does La ilaha actually mean? The second is virtues regarding La ilaha Allah. Some of his virtues. The third one is Arkan La ilaha. The Arkan that La ilaha Allah stands on. La ilaha stands on negation and affirmation. And what is it negating? What, what is it that is negating? What is it that is affirming? You have to ask yourself that question and understand it. The fourth one is the shurut. And the scholars mention seven and some make an eighth one. Ilmun in, uh, the shurut of it is um, uh, the author, rahimahullah, the poet, he said. The poet, he said, shurut of la ilaha illallah is uh, العلم واليقين والقبول والانقياد فدري ما أقول والصدق والإخلاص والمحبة ورفقك الله لما أحبه. Those are the seven that you mentioned for the شروط of لا إله إلا الله. 
العلم واليقين والقبول والانقياد فدري ما اقول والصدق والاخلاص والمحبه وفقك الله لما احب دوز دسابن ان النواقض اوف اسلام ذو اوثر رحمه الله ابن عبد الوهاب mentioned 10 of them which are unanimously agreed upon so it's good to go to those 10 and read them and understand those 10 lalafayas those are the five things that you should know about la ilaha illallah today we've taken the introduction of the kitab Safinatul Najah. So far, what we've taken is the Muqaddimah. All of this is just an introduction. We're now going to go into the book, inshaAllah ta'ala. So before I carry on, I just wanted to say, if, if everyone can, inshaAllah ta'ala, have the, 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 the textbook right now with them open, inshaAllah ta'ala. Um, the book is, in Arabic, it's called Safinatul Najah. The best publication for it is Darun Minhaj in the Arabic language. So download it and have it in front of you, inshallah ta'ala. The second thing I wanted to say about the, the, the book is it's translated in English. It's translated, translated in English and it's called the, the Ship of Salvation. The Ship of Salvation. If you write that in Google, you'll find it translated. Okay? It's translated. So you can, you can follow me on there, inshallah ta'ala. The author, Rahimullah, this book of his, one of the things, the reasons that I've chosen it is this book only talks about qismul ibadat. It only talks about ibadat. And as you all should know, the fiqh is divided into two. The fiqh is divided uh, into two. And some scholars, they divide it into four because they extend it, they extend it too much. But it's four that we're going to mention, inshallah uh, ta'ala. The, the scholars, they divide the fiqh into these two. These are the two that they divide it into. Number one is, they divide it into um, uh, al-ibadat and al-mu'amalat. So we have ibadat, and al-mu'amalat. Okay? Al-mu'amalat, al-ibadat, we know it's, the books of fiqh, they mention al-tahara. So al-tahara, and then we have al-salah, and then we have al-zakat, and then we have al-sawm, and last but not least, we have al-hajj. This is called ibadat. You see, the ibadat is the first part of the chapter of uh, fiqh books. And then comes al-mu'amalat. Al-mu'amalat, you, you take al-buyu' these are, and then you take uh, al-nikah, and any nikah, in it comes the issue of talaq and khula and f- f- all of the masail here. And then al uh, jinayat and the fifth one is al uh, hudud and I'm trying to summarize it inshallah ta'ala okay each one there's many masail that come from it the scholars they say that when the person makes money he gets married and when he gets married after having money and having a, a marriage humans generally become arrogant and stubborn and they become 
you know, evil. So what they do is they commit jinayat, crimes. And when they commit crimes, they have to have hudud, punishments. So the books are, are layered out like that. But before we even talk about transactions and mu'amalat, the person has to have ibadat with Allah tabarak wa ta'ala, the relationship with Allah. And so this starts with al-tahara, uh, uh, purification, and then as-salah, and then al-zakat, and then as-sawm and al-hajj. Purification is the first, and it's to purify yourself. As-salah is to pray. And al-zakat is to give zakat money, and sawm and hajj. Inshallah ta'ala, the author doesn't go deep into the issues of tahara because the kitab is very small. And he doesn't go deep into salah because the kitab is very small. He doesn't go deep into zakat or hajj or psalm because the book is very small. So we can finish the ibadat from this book. It's very small kitab in fiqh shafi'i. The way I'm going to teach, as I said, is I'm going to mention only the evidence for each point that he brings. Okay? Bi'idhnillahi al-kareem. So this book doesn't have any, it doesn't have the chapter of, um, it doesn't have the chapter of uh, Al-Mu'amalat. The author, rahimahullah, he started by saying, Alamatul Bulughi Thalatha. The alamat, the signs of puberty. So the author, rahimahullah, he says, the signs of puberty are what? They are three. So the first part is signs of puberty. Okay, we're going to now start with signs of puberty. How does a person know that they've reached puberty? So in English, this is going to be the, the signs of puberty and according to the author is alamat al-bulugh how does a person know that they've reached age of puberty the author rahimahullah here he mentions three signs we're going to write the three signs in english and arabic inshallah ta'ala Three signs. The first one is, and we're going to mention the evidence for each one, inshallah ta'ala. The second one is, and the third one is, so in English we have, Three signs for the person who's reached age of puberty. Number one. Okay, reaching. The age, age of fifteen. Number two, experiencing uh, 
a wet dream. And number three is menstruation. Now, the first two is male plus female. Yeah, I need the first two, th first two sides is male and female, and the third one is only female side. So for the male and the female is tamamu khamsa ashara sana, and the ihtilam, and for the women it's only hayd, reaching age of puberty. The signs that a person has reached puberty are three. In the Shafi'i Madhab is these three. The third one, the first one is that the person he he or she, male or female, they have reached the age of fifteen. Please understand this point and ponder over it with me, my brothers and sisters, inshallah. This is very important. The reaching of 15 is when there was no other previous sign that came about. A woman has not received her menstruation. She has not had any wet dream. She's now 15 and nothing has happened before. We say you have reached puberty. 15 is puberty. Okay? But if she's had a wet dream or she's reached her menstruation, she doesn't wait for 15, and this is ignorance on many people's part. That's important that that's understood. What is the evidence for the author to say that 15 is age of puberty? Hadith ibn Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, Abdullah ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him. He said, Aradani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi when I was 14, Abdullah ibn Umarin, he came forward, he wanted to participate in the battle of uh, Uhud, and he was only 14 years of age. The Prophet وسلم, never allowed him to fight, because he's underage. وَعَرَضَنِي يَوْمَ الْخَنْدَقِ And as when, on the day of Khandaq, which was one year later, وَأَنَبْنُ خَمْسَ عَشَرَ سَنَةً And I was 15, the Prophet allowed me to participate. Because I've now reached age of puberty. Scholars have taken from this that the age 15 is a sign of bulugh, reaching puberty. It's a sign of bulugh that you've reached age of puberty. That's number one. Second one is al-ihtilam, wet dream. This is for the male and the female. Women have wet dream and men also do. And the author, rahimahullah, he got this from Two verses that I'm going to give, inshallah ta'ala, and a hadith. The two verses is, قَوْلُهُ تَعَالَى وَإِذَا بَلَغَ الْأَطْفَالُ مِنْكُمُ الْحُلُمَ فَلْيَسْتَأْذِنُوا كَمَا اسْتَأْذَنَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ وَإِذَا بَلَغَ الْأَطْفَالُ سُورَةُ سُورَةُ النُّورُ Allah mentions it. وَإِذَا بَلَغَ الْأَطْفَالُ If the young kids, they reach huluma, they have wet dream. So Allah is mentioning here. فَلْيَسْتَأْذِنُوا They should seek permission when they are coming to houses. Like those who have been commanded to uh, seek uh, permission before them. Also, a second ayah is, Surah Nisa. 
Allah says, وَبَتَلُوا الْيَتَامَ حَتَّى إِذَا بَلَغُوا النِّكَاحَ فَإِنْ آنَسْتُمْ مِنْهُمْ رُشْدًا فَادْفَعُوا إِلَيْهِمْ أَمْوَالَهُمْ Allah says, وَبَتَلُوا الْيَتَامَ حَتَّى إِذَا بَلَغُوا النِّكَاحَ Allah says, test the orphans. This orphan, you are holding his money, you're the, you're the guardian of his money. The orphan now, he's reached an age of puberty that you have to pass him over his wealth now. Allah says, وَبَتَلُوا الْيَتَامَ Test him, see if he's ready to take his wealth. وَبَتَلُوا الْيَتَامَ حَتَّى إِذَا بَلَغُوا النِّكَاحَ Until he reaches the age of nikah. Nikah here means wet dream. Because he can produce children and he can get married, meaning he's reached that age of puberty. Meaning here, it means he has had a wet dream. Allah then says, فَإِنْ آنَسْتُمْ مِنْهُمْ رُشْدًا If you then sense from this kid, he's smart, he's clever, he knows how to look after his wealth, and he's reached the age of puberty, فَدْفَعُوا إِلَيْهِمْ أَمْوَالَهُمْ Give them their wealth. Hand over their wealth to them. You're not allowed to keep his wealth from him at that time. That's two ayats that prove that wet dream is a sign of puberty. There's also a hadith. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, the pen is lifted from three. The young kid, until he reaches age of puberty, until he has a wet dream. Abu Dawood narrated this hadith and Hakim, and uh, he said that it is, Imam al-Hakim, he said, صَحِيحٌ عَلَى شَرْطِ الشَّيْخَيْنِ وَلَمْ يُخَرِّجَاهُ Dhahabi and Albani, rahimahullah, both agreed with that. Abu Abdullah al-Hakim and Nisaburi. That this hadith is ala shart al-shaykhain. It's of the condition of Bukhari and Muslim. The third sign is specific to the girls. And this is al-haydu. Menstruation. Menstruation is a sign of puberty. Haydu is a sign of puberty for the women only. And the evidence for that is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha وعن أبيها May Allah be pleased with her and her father That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He said لا يقبل الله لا يقبل الله Allah does not accept صلاة حائض إلا بخمار That Allah does not accept The prayer Of a woman Who's reached puberty By through what? حائض حائض Menstruation Allah will not accept her prayer Unless she prays with a khimar Meaning unless she covers up she can't just pray with no khimar on, no hijab on. So ponder here, and look at this hadith with me. That the salah, he has been mentioned for her menstruation, hayd. Allah doesn't accept a woman who's reached hayd when she prays salah without a khimar. Allah won't accept it from her, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then these are the three signs for a person he, that he or she has reached puberty. Two are shared by the men and the women, and one is unique for the woman. Now, pay attention. The one that mentions wet dream, if it comes first for the woman, that's a sign that she's reached age of puberty. We don't wait for her menstruation. If the menstruation comes first, before the wet dream, we don't wait for the other one. We don't have to find all of them. One is enough. For the person to reach age of puberty Let's say this woman doesn't have menstruation She doesn't have a wet dream Neither of the two Okay What does she do? The age of 15 is, is a sign of puberty now And for the man as well It's a sign of puberty That's so far what the author 
has mentioned. We'll stop there, inshallah ta'ala. We'll stop there, bi-imnillah al-kareem. I will take questions from the students. I'll take your questions, inshallah ta'ala, regarding today's class. Um, if you have any questions, um, put your hand up and you'll be taken off the mute and you can ask, inshallah ta'ala. So if you have any questions, um, you, uh, the mute will be taken off you and you can ask your question. So put your hand up, bi-idhnillahi al-kareem, if you have any questions. This Quran has given us a lot. Yes, ask, speak. Unmute. Let him put your hand up. Take, take the mute off. He has to unmute from there. Ah, he's, he's been unmuted. So, Hale, you are unmuted. You can ask the question. We can't hear you. Yeah, wa alaikum salam, we can hear you, Sahil. So you're referring to the ayah in Surah An-Nur where Allah says, وَإِذَا بَلَغَ الْأَطْفَالُ مِنْكُمُ الْحُلُمُ Hulum is ihtilam, right? Hulum is wet dream. Ah, specifically, Allah says, وَإِذَا بَلَغَ الْأَطْفَالُ If the children reach al-huluma, they reached wet dream, or they, they had wet dream, that's what, that's what the ayah says. Barakallahu feek. Yeah. Anyone else have any questions? So hey, you haven't yeah, you, okay. Hayah ask. And Muhammad Awais. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi.
yeah, right now we're, we're trying to, inshallah ta'ala, min babi tasheel, to make the matter easy. It goes, for now we're not trying to strengthen one view from the other and why is this view right or wrong. Unless I feel that this is a very detailed issue, I might go into it and I think it's necessary. But other than that, these issues are very acceptable in their differences. So now we haven't taken anything that's strange, that's far-fetched, that the author Allah has mentioned. And it's, it's not the first book you start with mentioning this view is stronger than this view, and this is right and this is wrong. It's not the first book we need to do that in, inshallah ta'ala. Because the kitab is, to be honest, very small book, and it's very tiny. It's even way before Matnabi Shuja'ah. So the idea isn't to really go in. So right now, till this moment, we haven't come across something that's strange and awkward that the author has mentioned. So we'll just go over it and we will mention the evidences that he has provided. And there is something I wanted to say, which is, the ev- as a side point, write this down, if you can all write this down. I think it's beneficial that you do. The evidences that are found in the Quran and the Sunnah. So we have to learn... Inshallah, I'm going to write this on the board. We have to know the difference between ad-dalil and fahmu-dalil. This is important. We need to know the difference between evidence and the understanding of the evidence. So a lot of people, they say, this goes against the evidence. Maybe it doesn't go against the evidence. Maybe it goes against your understanding of the evidence. Do you see? I, I, I hope everybody's with me. If you can just interact with me this moment. Does everyone understand this point so far? If you can just say yes, inshallah ta'ala. That there's a... Can, everyone, even they can't type yes? No, no one could talk, but just type yes. I think people can type yes, no? Okay, no problem if, if, you, if they've been muted. There's a difference between a dalilu evidence and fahmu dalil. So some people, because these two are not distinguished, people always think, oh, you're going against the evidence. You don't, you, you, you're disagreeing with the evidence. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's I'm disagreeing with your understanding of the evidence. Let me bring you to another point which is important. I think it's, I dropped my pen over there. <laughs> this point I want you to understand. The evidences in the religion, this is, very quick and fast, inshallah ta'ala. When it comes to the evidences that you find in the Qur'an and the Sunnah are three types. The evidences that the Qur'an, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the evidence in the Qur'an and the Sunnah are three types. Okay? The first one is called an-nas. The third one is called vahir. And second one, the third one is called mujmal. Okay, it's important that we understand this. Okay, al-nas, zahir, and al-mujmal. So let's write al-zahir and write al-mujmal. The evidences in the Quran and the Sunnah are these three types: al-nas, al-zahir, al-mujmal. What does al-nas mean? What is meant by al-nas? Nas means. So, by the way, take, write this down. It's important that you do. Nas means. Crystal Crystal Clear Did I write that right? Yeah, crystal, right? 
crystal clear. Meaning there's no other understanding that is taken from it. It's قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ There's no other understanding. Allah is one. There's no difference of interpretations or whatnot. So there's no ihtimal. Ihtimal means there's no other understanding, there's no other interpretation for it. There's nothing. These two, they have ihtimal. There's other understandings that are in there. It's not crystal clear. There's ihtimalat. Possibilities. Can it take this? Can it take that? There's possibilities. These two. Al-Zahir wal Mujmal. So what's the difference between the two? Zahir is one ihtimal is higher than the other ihtimal. Meaning one uh, interpretation seems to be stronger than the other interpretation. That's al-Zahir. Meaning one is apparent. One seems to be more apparent. Al-Mujmal is either they are equal Yeah, it means, sorry, mujmal means they're both equal. There's no way to distinguish one from the other. That's what al-mujmal means. The two are parallel. Which one is which? No one knows. This is mujmal. Al-zahiru means what? One seems to be apparent than the other. There's two assumptions here in front of me. There's two possibilities, but one is more stronger than the other. This is called al-zahir. And this is called al-mujmal. Majority of the scholars in fiqh, when they argue back and forth, is in issues which are vahir. And a lot of the times, issues which are mujmal, this is ambiguous. Again, the mujmal has to be clarified um, uh, by the Quran or the Sunnah itself. Like in the majority of the times, what the scholars are arguing about are issues which are vahir. Vahir, vahir meaning it can take this and it can take that. This to be, seems to be stronger to this person and this other person may say, nope, this is not the strongest one for me. This is stronger to me. Does that make sense? So right now, we don't want to go into these technicalities with the students. Um, we will leave it for now. Like in anything which is nasarih and it's crystal clear, we won't, inshallah ta'ala, entertain the idea of other views. Okay? I hope that answers the question, inshallah ta'ala. Okay, is Hawqala la hawla la quwata bila o la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-azim Ali billahi There's many ways that it has come There's many ways that it has come Sometimes la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi Some narrations mention it Some narrations it come La hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-ali al-azim It has come in different wordings Is it better to ask questions through chat In the future? Please repeat the five things in details. So when you're learning La ilaha illallah, there are five things that you should generally learn about what La ilaha illallah is. The first one is learn the ma'ana of La ilaha illallah, meaning the meaning of La ilaha illallah. The second thing that you should do is um, the, the meaning. The second thing that you should do is know about La ilaha illallah is the pillars of La ilaha illallah. The third thing that you need to do is shurutu La ilaha illallah, the prerequisites of La ilaha illallah. The fourth one is um, the fada'il and the virtues regarding la ilaha illallah, the virtues that have come. 
And the fifth one is nawaqid, the nullifiers of la ilaha illallah, the things that nullify your la ilaha illallah. And um, I've done speeches and lectures on that before, um, going through this. Okay, inshallah ta'ala. Um, someone asked a question. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi. You have mentioned a couple of cases when we need to consider reaching the age of purity, like taking part in jihad, getting married. Does it also apply for start, starting praying? So we're going to come to the issue of prayer. The scholars, when they come to the prayer, they say the conditions of prayer, they, they don't mention bulugh, they mention tamiz. This is very important to understand this. The issue of salah, the condition for it is not reaching puberty. It's just reaching the age of at tamiz. The age of tamiz means what? The salah is a prayer, it's, a, it's an act, sorry, that we were commanded to pray, even if we haven't reached age of puberty. Like the... Uh, Age of seven, the child is taught to pray, and the age of ten, he's disciplined. You see, this is not necessarily a condition for him reaching puberty or not. It's not a condition. Salah is not conditioned for puberty. Child has to pray before he even reaches age of puberty. So no, 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 he's not, he's not commanded to go to the masjid. He's taught to go to the masjid. He's encouraged to go to the masjid. He doesn't have to go to the masjid. Uh, but he has to pray at the age of 10. Yeah, so uh, what about growth of body hair? This is a sign of puberty. Some of the scholars, they add that condition to it. That the author left here. And they mentioned the story of the Prophet when he got the captives spoils of war, they were checked if they, have pu- if they had hair. And that was a sign of puberty. But the author didn't mention that. Uh, so we'll take that in the, in the next books, inshallah ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum. May Allah bless you and reward you all. We'll stop there, inshallah ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum. Wa jazakumullahu khairan.